Hey family, welcome back. Before we get started, I want to thank our friends at the Center for Self-Improvement, Holistic Wellness and Transformation. Let's hear what they have to offer. The Center for Self-Improvement, Holistic Wellness and Transformation is your one-stop shop to Wellville. Here at the Center, we believe in treating the whole person. This is why our goal is to help each of our clients to obtain optimal health and wellness through mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional alignment. For more information about the services that we provide, visit us at thecenterforselfimprovement.com or give us a call at 630-748-4849. The Center, where we believe in treating the whole you. So here's my confession. Some of my worst life experiences have paved some of the best paths to my success. This is why our next guest, Charnel Lane, was chosen as a 2019 Melanated Queen Award honoree. She has taken years of abuse, health challenges, and trials to empower others to heal. She is a poet, advocate, and all-around Melanated Queen in her own right. On today's show, Charnel shared her journey. I am eager to support sisters who are always willing to share their stories, as we should all take a page out of the book of one another's lives. Let's take a listen. A woman's prerogative. I want some of that ooh wee, that good stuff, that brown sugar, that honey. I want that smoothness, that coolness, that anger, <laughs> that funny. I want that quiet, that still, that power, that strength. Under side eyes, behind oval rimmed glasses. I want some of that foxy bullshit so mouth. I want some of that Black Moses getting her people out the South. I want that Maya Angelou, I know why the cage bird thing went from silent, no talk, to one of the best poets you ever seen. I want that damn that girl know she can sing. I want some of what Dandridge brought to the movie. I want that single mom conquering impossible odds so that her children can dream impossible dreams. I want the love that Mahalia sang about. I want to be happy regardless of the cloud. I want to thank the creator for my blessing because I had a praying grandmother. I want that natural star because it's okay to be me. I want to flood the media so real bodies are all that see. I want to raise my fist like Angela Davis because the revolution will not be televised. I want my words to tickle your ear. I want them to pump through your veins like blood when I'm near. I want to entice you with my body. Do you want me? as I want you. I want the grace of Gabrielle Douglas, the swiftness of the Williams sisters, and the air of Brittany Griner, athletic prowess, 
bodies pushed to no bounds, and possibilities reached. Women are powerful, sweet, sexy, strong, and smart. It may be a man's world, but where it starts is in our womb. No one does it quite like we do. I want to be all the phases I can be because I am a woman. I am a queen. That's that piece. Sis, queen, <laughs> you are phenomenal. I absolutely love that. I just, I, you know, I've never had an introduction like that on this show. So, I have to I have to take a moment to take that in. I have <laughs> I, I've heard that piece before because you as an honoree at the Melanated Queen Awards presented that last week. However, I had a chance to really just really just take it in today. Thank you for sharing that. What's the name of it again, sister? It's called A Woman's Prerogative. I just want to welcome you, sis, Queen. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hello. My name is Cheryl Neal Lane. I am a writer, poet, speaker, author, teacher, all around sister, friend, <laughs> motivator, advocate, activist. <laughs> and pure talent, may I add. <laughs> Talented. So when you when you drop that at the Melanie Queen Awards. I mean, you had everybody in the room moved. <laughs> Let, let's, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk about that. So you just named a number of things that you do that represents you and Miss Lane. It's Miss Lane, and you know, I I obviously we were moved by your story when you were nominated for the award, and then we were even more moved when you had an opportunity to share your own story. You know, because the nomination process, a lot of people don't understand that. You know, you're nominated by someone anonymously and then we contact you and then you tell us about yourself. Now I had met you probably about a year ago at an event. And one of the things about you that I recall is that you were like the minute you and I got a chance to connect, you were just so you complimented me immediately and you represented true sisterhood. You was like, you got it together. You put together and we connected. We started talking and I had not, I don't think I'd seen you since then, but I definitely had a chance to follow you on social media, see your work. You have a lot of stuff going on. So poetry is one of the many things that you do, but you know, you talked about it, that you're an advocate, you're a writer. Let's get into the story. So what is your story? How, how would you describe it? So my story is that I've been writing since the first grade, like writing um, poetry, essays, uh, plays, skits, short stories. Um, so I wrote my first book for the Young Artists Program, right? <laughs> in fourth grade. And I actually won for my school, but I did not win in the city. So, um, but that was my first book. Um, I've been doing poetry in like oratory contests coming up through school. And I was always pushed to write because that's just where I fall. You know, writing for me is like breathing sometimes. Um, and so that's where my, my talent comes. God gave me this talent and I try to use it 
um, to help people all the time. I went through a lot of things growing up. Um, well, I went through sexual abuse and then um, that wasn't handled properly. So it festered. And I used writing to help me with that. Um, when I was 15 years old, I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder and um, dealt with that. <laughs> um, but through all of that, I was always still um, speaking up for people. And the more that I learned about the things that I dealt with, the more I learned about other people who didn't have the opportunity or the means to deal with things the way that I dealt with them and um, who were not worse off than me, because I don't like to say people are worse off than me, but they were in different situations than I was um, So when I was 18, when I was 17 years old, I was in high school, and I got pregnant. Ta-da! Uh, with my with my son Solomon, I entered a program uh, called the Young Parents Program through the YWCA here in Chicago. Uh, well, the YWCA is everywhere, but the one in Chicago I entered, and we had a program called Heart to Heart, where they actually teach young parents the signs of sexual abusers or that your child may be getting sexually abused. It's like a prevention type of thing. Well, at the end of this process, and what, what it mostly did was dealt with the sexual abuse of the parents, because most of them were sexually abused that I learned. So in learning this, um, and um, learning that other people were like me, um, because when I first was sexually abused, I thought I was the only one who was in my situation. Not that I didn't think other people got sexually abused, but just in my type, the way it was handled. I read, I know why the cage bird sings by Maya Angelou. And in that book, she talks about her sexual abuse. Maya Angelou is one of the most known poets, most renowned, like she's one of the top. She was mute after she got sexually assaulted for years. Like, didn't say a mumbling word. And now she's one of the most known poets in the world. So, by me seeing that and seeing how she got through that, it gave me strength and it gave me the drive to say, well, if she's all that and this happened to her, I can be that. And um, so when I was in the Heart to Heart program, we had to put on like a service project and then at the same time do our end of the end of the program graduation type thing. So I decided that we were going to have an open mic. So I encouraged the girls to either make an art, art piece or write a poem, a story um, about their sexual abuse and how they either dealt with it, what happened to them, or how they got through it, you know? 
So it was such a healing process for the young women. And um, everybody really enjoyed it. We, all, we, we opened up the floor for other people who were guests to come up and speak if they wanted to. And it was just a healing moment. So from that and seeing that, I was like, this is needed. Um, from there, I graduated high school and I started Sister Standing Together in Womanhood. Sister Standing Together in Womanhood was like my first project slash non-for-profit slash community organization. And I started it because I was in all these after school programs and uh and they all got you to college, right? They all was about getting in college. But once you cross that graduation stage, I didn't feel like there was anything to tell you how to be an adult. Um, they weren't classes for everybody because everybody in high school don't learn don't learn how to balance a checkbook. They don't learn how to um, watch for their credit scores or, you know, um, how to conduct themselves in a business setting or in an office. So I wanted to, one, make that information available. I guess I was always trying to make information available to people. <laughs> I wanted to, one, make that information available to people who didn't have it. So um, I started having classes for, for young ladies and uh, it's just the together in womanhood. But the other reason I, I had sister together in womanhood was because there was this stigma that black women couldn't get along. Mm. And I didn't want that because I had so many people that were friends of mine and associates that I got along with nationally that were black women. And I didn't want young girls growing up thinking that black women don't get along or even that it's okay for you to be mean to another black woman because black women don't get along um so i had the sisterhood component where we would go to activities and interact social things we would have classes where we would learn about you know being a better sister to each other um, and the last thing, well, the other thing was community service. So we would do all these community service events. We would um, give back to domestic violence shelters and have things for the community, things for the children, um, have dinners for Christmas, toy drives, you know, all types of stuff. So we did that. And then the last component was mentoring. So we had the sisters who went up to 30. And then we had the big sisters who were 30 and above up to 50. And then after that, we had the mothers. So um, each group mentored the group under it. So I was 19 when I came up with this. And <laughs> we had a good run. I think we did a lot until I got kind of sick and, and it kind of, I wasn't able to keep up with it. And my sisters kept it running for a minute, but they got involved in their own project. So we're thinking about bringing it back, but you know, it'll be back soon. Um, so after that, I went to school and um, let's see, I got into African-American studies 
well, I was already in for African American but that's what I started studying in school. And I became the first female vice president of the African American Studies Association for Alapari College. And that taught me that there are some really sexist people in positions that they shouldn't be in and people that we look up to. Um, and it just was a lesson for me and um, made me push even more to women empowerment and um, putting women in places that they belong. Um, so I um, was doing different things, like I was on policy councils. I was um, LSC chairperson for my son's school. What else? Um, all this time I was writing, all the time, doing poetry, hitting up open mics when I was younger. Then I started to get sick. So I have, um, first I had um, arthritis. Then we found out that I almost died, right? Mm. We didn't find out that I almost died, but I almost died uh, several times. This one time, I really almost died. Um, I woke up one day and I was just really tired. Um, I got up, went to school. I was going to Alapari, got on the bus, went to school with my friend. Um, we sat down in student, student union and we had two classes that day. The second class we had together. So he was going to his first class. He's like, you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to lay here a minute because I'm kind of tired. And the next thing I know, he was waking me up, and I was like, oh, this time for our class already? He was like, girl, all them classes is over. You've been here knocked out. So I couldn't get up from the table. He literally carried me home on the bus and um, put me in my bed. And my mom was like, you need to go to the hospital. And I was like, I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't like hospitals. But I'll go in the morning if I still feel bad. She was like, okay. So I went in the morning, got there. Um, the doctors told me that I was uh, tachycardia, which means my blood, blood heart rate was really fast. And they told me um, that they, it wasn't you know, anything that dangerous. And they sent me to urgent care. Um, so I'm in urgent care. They're doing tests. I have my son with me, by the way, who was like two at the time. And we're chilling, waiting for test results to come back. My mom comes to get my son after she gets off work. And the nurse comes and says, yeah, so you don't have pneumonia, but we think you might have a blood clot in your lungs. So we're going to take... Um, you to cast in. So I say, okay. And I'm so busy talking to my mother that I didn't really hear what she said. So about five minutes after that, I look at my mom and I said, did she say I might have a blood clot in my lungs? And my mom goes, no, she didn't say that. No, no, she didn't say that. I'm like, oh, okay. And we continue on. She leaves. I'm sitting in the chair watching Will of Fortune. And I just hear feet coming down the hall. Uh, and I'm like, wow, something must be happening. 
And they turn the corner and come directly in at me. I'm sitting in the waiting room. They come directly at me. They have like needles and IV and they sticking me with shots and listening to my heart. And I'm like, what is going on? And they're like, a blood clot just went through your heart. And it's lodged in your lungs. And the nurse keeps asking me, you're not in any pain? And I wasn't in any pain. I just felt really tired and it was hard to breathe. And they said, you could have died. And had you stayed home any longer, you would have died. I was 20 years old. Wow. And you know, I, I, I share that testimony. I've, I've had a blood clot that traveled through my lungs. It just happened in 2017. So I know exactly how you feel. You everybody tells you what you what, what should be happening and you're like I don't feel any of that and just to know that you literally are knocking on death's door like it's yeah. just it's crazy yeah it was really crazy for me um but that didn't stop me <laughs> I got better from that you know I started taking the blood thinners and the lovenox and all of that jazz. and they told me that I would have to take it forever because I had lupus anticoagulant disorder which is a blood clotting disorder that you get from lupus. Um, my family, lupus runs very heavily in my family. Um, so that's where I got the blood clot from and the blood disorder. Uh, but they keep saying I don't have it, but I keep getting all this stuff related to it. Um, so from there on, I got better and I kept moving. Um, I was actually a public ally after that, um, and that was, like, the greatest thing ever. I would definitely encourage any young person out there under the age of 30 to apply if they can. Um, it, it definitely was a great experience for me, but I learned a lot about helping the community, and I learned a lot about the business of nonprofit. So that was great for me. Uh, then I got sicker, sicker, sicker. I couldn't work. I went to Everest, got finished that program. Um, I couldn't work anymore. And I really started to feel bad because I was really young. I started walking on a cane at the age of like 23. And then it went to a walker. And by this time, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, herniated discs, and the arthritis, and the lupus anticoagulant disorder. Um, when I got on the walker, they had to really force me. Because I was like, I am already too young to be on a cane. I'm not supposed to be walking around a walker. Um, but I almost fell one day, and I was like by myself in this deserted place, and it was like, you getting a walker. Um, so yeah, um, I was in abusive relationships, uh, domestic violence, non-physical, but definitely emotional, um, definitely manipulation, definitely fear tactics. Um, I got married the first time, got divorced very quickly because uh, that was an abusive relationship, um, and. 
I just stopped working because um stopped working in the community. Um, I would do little things here and there, but because my body was breaking down, it was just like uh, I kept writing. I ain't never stopped writing, but um, I just thought that I was kind of useless, you know. Um, and I went through that. So when I in 2012, um. In 2012, I had a stroke on December 24th. Funny, I had my blood clot on Valentine's Day. I had my stroke on Christmas Eve. Uh, so I ended up staying in the hospital a week, and um, they told me it was due to stress. So that made me start thinking about my stress levels and everything. Um, around that same time, um, I wrote my first book in 2013 um, because, like, um, you know, I talk to people about all the time about making connections and other people encouraging other people. Um, I had wrote a poem years before about my abuse. But because I was afraid of what other people who was involved would feel about me sharing my story, I didn't really share it. Um, so I shared this form with a friend, and she was like, oh, I have another friend that would love to hear this, and I share it. I said, sure. I was always like, sure, share it. So um, she shared it. And then the other young lady wanted to contact me. So she contacts me, and the first thing she says is, you need a book. And I said, yeah, I would, I would love a book, but I don't have no money. And she said, you don't need money to publish a book. And I'm like, yeah, where they do that at? And she was like, she told me about creativity. And I signed up for it that same day, um, made my account. And she said, you know, if you do it in 30 days, you get a free proof and all this other stuff. And so I was like, okay, well, that means I got 30 days to write a book. Just so happened I was going through a situation and I was writing every day. So, like, from that day that I said that I, I signed up for the account, I would write every day about my situation. Um, and about two weeks later, I finished the book. Um, I got it edited. I published, put it in Create Space, published it, and got it in my hand three weeks from the day I signed up for the account on the website. So I had my first book, and um, I was super excited. <laughs> Isn't that the most epic experience when you hold your book for the first time? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my goodness! And it was epic. It was doubly epic for me because I had wrote a book previously, and I I was going to publish it, but I had to take the money that I was going to use to publish it to do something else with. And I always was like, man, I really want to publish a book. Because everybody's been telling me, you need a book, you need a book, you need a book. But I was like, I don't have the money to publish a book. So for me to do that, like, I was like, 
oh my god like this is something i created this is this is this is my work and other people can buy it and read it you know but even then you know it still wasn't about money you know um because i wasn't i was just an artist i wasn't you know about money but um you know it's available on amazon it's called confessions of the other woman um it's by uh, under my pseudonym cookie battles shameless plug and um that was awesome uh the next that next year i got involved in this book sale that this young lady was having these writing groups to create a book but it was just really a scam to get all this money and she got her name on the book and we didn't and i didn't like that at all um so i ended up getting out of it because they were really trying to scam me and i was like nope not gonna happen so i had all this material and i had some other material too so i was like i'm gonna do a second book so this time I was like, I'm gonna make it an ebook because everyone kept asking for the first book to be an ebook. And this was in 2014. So this was when you had to code your own ebook to get it to do the little fun things that ebooks do. And I knew nothing of coding, nothing of zeros <laughs> and ones, nothing. <laughs> um but i sat there and i coded that book and it worked perfectly on a kindle uh whatever tablet you use um <laughs> and that book is called confessions of an undiscovered writer and that book is um, broken up into sections it's like adulthood um pain and suffering childhood um, community activism, you know, love and relationships. It's like a good book with different poetry and short stories in it. And that was my second book. And I was like, okay, check me out a book a year. Uh, so the next year, that year I got married again. And then the next year I did, I was asked to be a part of this book called My Journey to Exodus, How My Pain Produced Promise. And it was a nonfiction piece, a nonfiction book about um, how different situations women went through and how they came through the other side, basically. Um, now, the, the young lady who asked me to write it all about connections, again, the young lady that asked me to join the book was a young lady I was friends with, but I didn't really know. I met her through someone else. And I had never met her. And she was a, she's a book publisher and book author and everything. And she was like, I'm working on this book. I really think it'll be, you know, good for women. And I want you to be a part of it. So can you think of a story that, you know, you went through some pain and everything? So I instantly thought of my race. But again, I was at a place where I was like, do I do this? Because other people are going to read it and then they're going to think this person is bad or that person is bad. So I was like, um, I wrote a whole different story. And I mean, wrote the story, worked on it, edited it, sent it in, everything. And she was like, this story is good. 
is this the store you want to go with? And I was like, yeah. And then the next day I called her back and I was like, this is not the store that I want to go with. And I had to start all the way up. Because <laughs> that wasn't the story I needed to tell. I needed to tell about my race, right? Because that was something, the pain that I went through to get to the other side. So, mm-hmm. um, so I had already wrote, written a story about it called um, Last Moments of Childhood. So we took Last Moments of Childhood, which was really like a page or two long, and we turned it into Penetrating Innocence. And this young lady helped me work on this story. She helped me work on my life. And she's still one of my writing mentors to this day. And um, we didn't meet in person until last year. Um, so that's amazing about connection <laughs> and the power of social media. You know? That's right. If you if used properly and yes. effectively, it is an amazing tool. It is. It is. It is definitely. So um, that was my that was my third book, My Journey to Exodus. Uh, my Journey to Exodus. Lord Jesus, my journey to Exodus, how my pain produced promise. Yes, that's it. Um, and it's by um, it's ended by uh Xavier Xavier um, L. Bill. So if you all are looking at for that, that is also on Amazon. All these are on Amazon. Um, so after that, I had an open mic. I had the open mic in 2014. So it was a uh, cookie jar open mic, right? And it lasted for about a year. But my whole point of having the open mic was to raise funds to have an open mic in a wheelchair accessible place. Because in 2012, I started using a wheelchair. I forgot about this one. But in 2012, I started using a wheelchair. So I wanted to have an open mic somewhere where people like me could come. So I wanted to, it to be accessible. So the place that I got at first for my open mic was not accessible, but it was the only place I could get for the price. And so I used that and I was like, well, I'll raise money. But I could never get the money together. Like it wasn't enough money. So I ended up stopping that, not because I didn't like it, but because of my health. So um, that I I couldn't get into the space anymore. So um, physically, so um, I stopped that open mic uh, after a year. But I said that to say that last year I hosted the open mic, the disability open mic for the National Poetry Slam that was held in Chicago last summer. Because um, just talk about manifestation and receiving what you want. So um, I said that I wanted to have an open mic where people of all um, abilities could come. And I got nominated to host the National Portrait Slams open mic for disabled people. So I was like, just floored for that. And I hosted it, and it was awesome. Um, so I do that. Um, but I do everything. Like, I also have did my writing through a workshop classes. Um, 
which I started in 2016 um, because I had been disabled for quite a while at that point. And there was a lot of things going on in the community, such as, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement was getting traction, the Trayvon Martin thing had happened, the police killings was getting rampant, and I felt like I couldn't do anything. Because, mind you, when I was younger, I'm used to getting in a fight, you know, like, we're going to, we're going to march, let's go. We're going to, we're going to create some kind of uh, program, let's do it, you know. But because I was disabled, I was kind of removed from that, mm-hmm. so I thought. Um, so one day I was talking to my baby sister, and, and I was talking to her about it, and I was like, you know, I just really want to do something. I've always taught journaling. I used to teach it a lot to children, and sometimes I taught it to adults, but mostly children. And um, I love journaling. Like, journaling is like, the healing bomb, and I don't think people realize it. I think people realize, think they have to do it one certain way, but it is the healing bomb. And um, so she was like, you know, you have to do what you can do. And what you're meant to do is inside of you. So do what you know how to do. And if you want to help, you have to help in a way that you can help whatever your ability and she was talking about Margaret Burroughs quotes and different things so I was like you're right so I contacted one of her friends and I'll tell you how you do things from scratch right so I was like well I want to have a, a class where I teach how you can heal mentally through journaling and writing However, I have never um, formally put together like a lesson plan because I just taught class and I didn't put together a lesson plan. So I said, I don't know how to put together a lesson plan, but I really want it to be done right for this class that I'm going to put on. So I introduced, I, um, I met with one of my sister's friends who teaches art classes. And she taught me how to do a lesson plan. And from there, I built my first lesson plan for my first class for writing through a workshop. And it was writing through the everyday trauma, the writing through the everyday trauma of being Black in America, which is deep by itself. Um, But yeah, so I put that on. It was a six-week course um we met every week once a week for two hours and all of the students came um back every week and we did marvelous work at the end of it um we had it was my birthday the last class and we had like a celebration and people performed um stuff that they had written and worked on in the class and it was just awesome and I did it for free at the library. Um, and that was the birth of running through a workshop. So um, the other thing I do is speak. Um, I've been spoken on different topics because I've gone through um, childhood sexual abuse, rape, 
um, domestic violence, um, health issues, bullying, um, all sorts of things, being disabled, um, being a black woman in America, being black in America, uh, and the things that I do to um, push through it and the journaling aspect and the healing and mental access to it. Um, oh, and bipolar and all this other stuff. So because I've been through all that, um, I speak on it, you know, at different events and for different organizations. Um, I also teach my class on to different exposed conferences or holding it for different organizations. Um, and I also do my poetry, which I do open mics and different organizations and things. So that was really long. I apologize. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, there's so much that um, I have to ask you about that because it, it, to me, it speaks to, we were kind of talking before we really started the show about just sometimes having experiences and how those experiences will shape your future if you allow it to happen organically. And for you, that sounds like pretty much what's been going on. You have you have gone through a number of things, some things you had no idea was going to happen. You had health issues. You had some most of this you could not control, but you've been able to use that as a platform to heal and support others. And it it reminds me of what you just said. How if you just literally just do what God has already given you, even if it seems like a tragedy, you know, or something negative or something that you did not expect or something that's not fun. You know, we always associate success with feeling good all the time. But you've endured a lot of pain and troubles and just, you know, experiences that really in the end, you're helping other people, you know, to survive and to stay motivated. You've been doing that since you were a child, which is why your story is so amazing. You know, you started this process very young. You mentioned fourth grade. And by the time you were 19, you had a number of different efforts that you had had. And then even through the college years, it continued on. And now here we are this month. You've been honored as Melanie Queen uh, um, honoree. And you also just mentioned, you know, a big event that took place uh, this past weekend. What, yesterday? Mm-hmm. And you could tell us about that if you like. Awesome. Yes. So there is a company called Pretty Creative Hustle. and it's for dope girls doing dope stuff. It's um, African-American women doing what they do, black girls, magic. And they had an event yesterday called Gratitude for Black Girls, where they had literally um, all black women, artists, uh, chefs, um, vendors, performers, all black girls. So it was just black girl magic concentrated in this one magical place. Um, <laughs> and and it was wonderful. They had um, um, all kinds of things. I mean, the youngest artist there was eight and all the way up to the adults. And it was just wonderful. They had all this kind of thing. So they do media and um, graphic things um, throughout the year, um, the company where you could uh, get their services, pretty girl, pretty creative hustle. And they took part of their proceeds that they made this year and they put them into a grant. So Gratitude for Black Girls was like a big celebration. 
of Black women, but it was also a platform where they gave away this grant. The grant was $1,000. Um, so I applied for the grant. Well, funny story about favor, right? So I believe that when you do good, the universe blesses you. Um, it may not be the way that you see it or or wanted it to be, but you do get blessed. In it. Um, I heard about Gratitude for Black Girls months ago, and I wanted to go. I was like, oh, my God, that's really interesting. And I didn't have the money to go. So I was like, oh, you know, um, but I really want to go. I believe I put it on my calendar too, which I started doing with manifesting things. Um, before I had knew that I didn't have the money in, I was like, I want to go there. I put it on my calendar. And the next week, they had a giveaway for tickets. So they had regular tickets, the silver package tickets, and the platinum package. So they had a giveaway for two tickets. And it was like, tag your friend you would take. And I did. not entered and everything. And I won the giveaway for two tickets, two silver packages. So I was like, oh, my God, this is great. Now I can go to this event. And then I found out that they had a grant, a $1,000 grant uh, application you can fill out for this grant to receive this grant. Um, so I instantly started filling out the application. You had to fill out an application. You had to do a video, um, like a pitch for your passion project or your business idea. So that is what I did. And um, they were like, you know, 13 applicants. And I just kept saying, I'm going to get this grant. I got this grant. I got this grant. Like, I'm like, when I go to get my grant Saturday, that's what I'm telling my friends. Um, so I went to the event. The event was awesome. It was really magical. Um, and, you know, just mingling. And uh, one of the young ladies said at the end of the night that she saw me um, talking more about my business with people than the actual vendors. <laughs> Because um, I just like to introduce myself to people. And, you know, I'm very sociable. Right. So I'm always like, you know, yeah, I do this. This is my car. And talking to people and hearing their stories and what they do, then you get a lot of connections, too. Um, so that's something that I do. Um, but at the end of the night, they announced the grant winner. And um, I won the grant. So Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. So, um, I'm using the grant to start my online courses for writing through a workshop. That's phenomenal. You said something that's so important that I think that we all should remember. You know, you just write things down and you claim it so that it will manifest. You know, a lot of people haven't really bought into that because, you know, people make all types of excuses, but you just put your mind to something and just literally have it there. Eventually it will work itself out. And so you've always done that. Uh, I want to kind of go back in your story. You are a survivor of sexual abuse and you mentioned, you know, being in a domestic um, violence situation. And unfortunately we always associate 
you know, domestic abuse with physical violence, but you kind of spoke about like emotional and mental, you know, uh, wellness in that situation. Can you tell us a little bit more about just the perception that people have and how maybe some women may not understand or realize when they're in a domestic, you know, abusive situation because it's not physical? Oh, absolutely. Um, I believe that, you know, we always in this kind of time and day and age, there's always stigmas for things. And I believe there's a big stigma on um, being in an abusive relationship, but not being a physical one. Um, because it's like, well, I didn't get hit, so I don't really need all that. You know, it's like, I didn't get hit, but they got hit, so that there's worse than me. But if you control someone's mind, then you may not need to touch them if they fear what you're going to do. Because the fear is there. The, um, and that's why people hit anyway. Um, the power is there. The control is there already. Um, I was in an abusive relationship. Um, and I didn't know I was in an abusive relationship. Um, and I really didn't. And I was young, but I really didn't know. Um, because I wasn't getting hit. Um, when people would throw knives at you so hard that they stuck into the wall and um, just had you so scared that you would sleep with knives under your pillow, um, you're in an abusive relationship. Um, when they would just, you know, get angry and just go off and, you know, jump at you and you know you're in an abusive relationship that's that's abusive um what i think is that uh manipulation because the person that i was in a relationship with had narcissistic personality disorder like diagnosed like we say that a lot like oh he was narcissistic no he had it like he was diagnosed by actual um professional professionals that he had this. And for those who don't know, narcissistic personality disorder is basically um, narcissism. Sorry about that noise. That's something outside. It's narcissism. Narciss narcissistic personality disorder is narcissism on steroids. Um, it's when people manipulate you to the point that you don't know what's really going on. You don't know you're coming or you're going. Um, they they have you thinking, you know, that things are happening to them instead of happening to you. So, like, when you see on the movies about domestic violence and it's physical, and he's like, well, you did this to me, and if you didn't do this to me, then I wouldn't have to hit you type thing. Like that. But all the time. Um, and I had no idea what narcissistic personality disorder was. I had no idea he had it. But um, afterwards, hearing that, I'm a researcher. So I was like, what is this? Let me go to Google. And I'm pulling up things. And everything that they were saying, I had experienced. Um, and, and being controlled emotionally 
being withheld from like emotion and 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 and, and affection sometimes because that wasn't the only domestic violence relationship I ended up in. But like you said, they come in different forms. And I believe that um, all of these forms should be talked about. And I have been a part of uh, a lot of different organizations and like resource fairs and and, and, um, programs for domestic violence lately that have been including uh, mental, emotional abuse uh, because we need to know the signs for that too. We need to teach women and girls um, that uh, when he when he's controlling you in high school, because this stuff is starting in high school and grammar school now, with mental and emotional abuse and physical abuse with these with these young girls, and it's like ridiculous. And um, I can spot it now. But um, it just it just needs to be addressed because that usually leads into physical violence. Um, and I was a part of a photo shoot that um, by the Women's Justice League, who works with domestic violence survivors and they're awesome and they had this photo shoot and the miraculous thing about the photo shoot was that it was just for women who had experienced mental and emotional abuse and I was like fabricated because I'm like really because no one does that no one does that um and the cool thing about it was we all had t-shirts with what we were called like the main thing we were called or felt felt like on our chest and we all took these pictures with these words and we like took took the power of these words you know like this is not what i am and it was it was just a, a, a magical thing. Um, but I think that most people who are physically abused are emotionally abused. And I think that if we get out the word more about that, then we'll be able to prevent a lot of abuse from happening. Um, and how, how did, you know, you getting past that and, and your work now as a poet, which is very powerful in your writing, how do you believe that helps to heal other women who are also going through that? Okay, let me tell you how I got past that. I'm still getting past that. Um, I was just in um, an emotional situation um, in my last marriage. So it wasn't as violent as the first one or the other one but it was the same situation and I noticed that this is something you have to constantly work on I believe in the infinite evolution of learning the infinite evolution is growth you know what I'm saying so um the way that I get past that is definitely writing 
helping others, talking to others who have experienced it. Um, I believe that community and camaraderie, um, when you go through different situations, is is great because, which is why I encourage it in my workshop, because it's one thing to be isolated and go through something. It's one thing to be the only one in a room going through something. But when you're in a room with people and you tell your story or you say something and people are like, yeah, I understand. And they really understand, right. it does something to you. So to be able to be a part of that, to be able to just, I, I just believe that the creator left me to have this, um, to be able to observe different things. And um, when I do that, when I go to these workshops, when I, and I could do counseling. Oh, let me tell you, don't skip on the counseling. There's a big stigma against mental health for African-Americans, for black folks. And we need to stop that. I have bipolar, so I was in counseling anyway. But there was times that I got out because I'm like, oh, I'm good. I don't need that. Not true um, <laughs> for me. But um, counseling helped me, helped me tremendously. And even like um, we talked earlier about Sister Afia. Sister Afia has support groups. I try to go as much as I can because that's, that's the camaraderie, you know of other women, like-minded people. Um, but giving back helps. Cause in giving back, I get to meet other people. Um, and writing my poetry is really healing for me. Um, I write what I feel. I write what I feel. Straight up and honest to the point. Like I write um, what I feel, and people always, you know, I wrote, um, I wrote this piece called "For Little Girls Who Consider Suicide When the Silence Was Not Enough," and it's about childhood sexual abuse, um, domestic violence is in there, you know, suicide and depression is in there. But in this piece I wrote, I was studying with another poet. Because I had not remembered the piece, memorized the piece in like 10 years. And this was the first piece that I wanted to memorize. And it's like eight minutes long. So, I, of course, I called in help. <laughs> and he was helping me. And he's like, oh, well, you have a triple this with this. And I'm like, you know, using technical terms. And I'm like, oh, do I? I don't know what that means. People will be shocked to know that I, I don't think I have ever taken like a poetry class outside of high school, like English. I have never, um, I don't have a college degree, um, but so this is a gift that was bestowed upon me. And I use it, I use it to not only help me, because when I write, especially now that I've grown, when I write, it's not only about me. 
when I share things, it's not only about me. I write because I've written stuff and posted it on my blog or posted it on my um, YouTube or wherever. And people have said, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one. Right. Oh, my God, you got it. Oh, my God, you see it. And I write not only for myself because it's healing, but I write for them because it's healing. And that's why my tagline is, I bear my soul to heal you. Because that's what I do. So that's what I do in all of my situations with domestic violence, with um, being sick, with being um, mentally ill, with being all these things. Um, I write how I feel, whether that be poetry or a story or a blog entry, or now it might be a video, it might be a live video, I might get up there and, you know, to do a live or do one of my rants, as I call them, um, about a topic going on today. But, uh, yeah. And I'm pretty sure people can appreciate that, even if, if, if you consider it a rant. It's it's very authentic and it's real and it's coming from the heart. So do you find that people are very much attracted um, to those type of conversations? You know, it may come off as a rant to you, though, but do you feel like it, it hits home for a lot of people? Um, I think what I did, um, it did. Like, it, it's, it's always, um, it's going to always be with social media, like, arguments. Like, people coming against you. And sometimes people don't know how to um eloquently say what they want to say mm -hmm. so they just i've gotten people that just like disagree but they don't know how to say that so they just talk about me like bully me mm. it has nothing to do with what i'm talking about oh uh, i had somebody just say one time on the red like you fat ugly this and i'm like what does that have to do with what the red is about like do you have something to say about what i said these are people on your post to say this? Yeah, like on YouTube mostly. Like they'll leave a comment. Um, I haven't done a rant in a long time, which I have to get back to. Them. I have getting getting back in a groove of doing them on like uh, Facebook Live and um, Instagram Live. Mm -hmm. But I haven't done it where like I've recorded a video and then put it up on YouTube in a while. But maybe I'll do that because I, I need to catch up on well, that's a that's also an indication how many people out there who, who are also hurting because only a, a truly hurt person who has no direction and no way of healing would ever say anything like that, you know. Um, so this is why your work is, is so important because you may be making somebody really, you know, think internally and, you know, you know, your 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 words and your videos, because they clicked on it for a reason. So for them to watch it, listen to it, and respond that way, you may have hit a nerve, and they need to continue yeah. working that. And that's unfortunate, though. Um, yeah. But, you know, it doesn't even bother me, because like you said, I can see that now. Mm -hmm. Like, I can see people. I'm always the person, like, I, but I've always been this way. I've just gotten more understanding with it. Um, like, if people do something and people just go off for it, oh, why they do that rule? I'd be like, well, maybe such and such and such and such happened. Yeah, you know, like um, my little sister when they were in high school and stuffy. Why is she looking at me? Uh, I, I'm gonna go over there. And I said, why would you do that? Maybe she likes your hair. Maybe she mm -hmm. likes your shirt. Maybe she thinks she knows you. 
Maybe she's looking at the person behind you. You know, that was always me. Like, you have to look at where people are and what they've gone through. Now, does that mean they need to be where they at? No. Because it's like, um, it's like people growing up. I grew up with my father. Um, I grew up with, like, around drug dealing for a moment. And, um, like, people doing games and games and things like that. Like, I've seen that. I've seen people that are alcoholics. I've seen people that are drug addicts up, up close and personal. And that is something that I don't want to be. But that's the same thing with learned behaviors and um, where people are. We, we are. we are where we are because of things we learn. Mm-hmm. But even things that you learn, once you get a certain age, you learn other things throughout life just because you learn stuff watching a TV show. Um, so you know better. Once you know better, you should do better. But some people are so stuck. So I think the problem is finding out why they're stuck and healing that. That's why um, in my workshop, and for my summit, we say we use words to heal um, and writing to heal, but we reveal, heal, and deal with negative emotions. And then we commemorate and celebrate the positive. Wow. Well, as we kind of close out our conversation, because I know you have a busy schedule. What- <laughs> You, you you have a lot of stuff happening. So if you could just remind us of how we can find your writings. I know you mentioned Amazon, the names of your books and all the things that you have involved that we can all go out and support. Absolutely. So my first book is called Confessions of the Other Woman. Works from a different perspective. And it is available on Amazon. It's paperback. And the next book is called Tales of an Undiscovered Writer. It is an ebook. It is for and short stories. Um, the first book, um, Professions of the Other Woman, is actually a story written in poetic form. And it is um, LGTBQ book. And um, the second book, Tales of an Undiscovered Writer, it's short stories, poetry, um, different things. All that is under Cookie Battle. So um, look that up on Amazon. Um, my other book, which is My Journey to Exodus, How My Pain for This Promise, is by Zay, um, Xavier, Xavier L. Bell. That is available on Amazon. It is a paperback. Um, you can get this whenever you need to. Um, if you need this information again, you can visit my website, Tramel.com. That is C-H-E-R-L-N-E-L-L.com um, for any information, extra information that you need or for booking or anything like that. You can reach me at my email, which is Cheryl Nail at 
shirlnail.com. And um, my Instagram, Facebook is at shirlnail. Again, that's C-H-E-R-L-N-E-L-L. Um, and that's also my LinkedIn info. Okay. So I, I want to also take a moment to congratulate you again on the Melanie the Queen Awards. I just want to get some feedback from you. What was your experience like that day? Okay. My experience was, it was awesome. Okay. Um, just, I was so honored and humbled to be in a room with those queens and to be honored with those queens. Um, I'm like, wow, we got doctors in here. We got filmmakers in here. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, am I sure I'm on the right spot? But um, it, it was great for me to be recognized because like I said, I have been doing this a long time. And um, to be recognized as you, you are doing great. I think it's a uh, affirmation that I'm on the right path um and to be honored shows you that because sometimes we don't look at what we do as that great we're so used to doing it and I think that's where I was like I was so used to doing it um but to be honored um for what you do makes you gives you pause it made me grateful but the uh, the event was awesome. Um, the DJ was awesome. Three snaps. Oh my goodness, <laughs> it was awesome. I meant to get a card, but I, we friends on Facebook now. So we go. Yeah, uh, yeah. I throw a party. You best believe. That's uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But she was awesome. Um, everyone was awesome. Um, they do so much great stuff. And it was just great to be in a room of melanated people to honor melanated people. It was awesome. It was awesome. And congratulations to you for throwing a successful event because it was awesome. And I know how much it takes to put on an event like that. So for you to be doing all that you do and for all that you do, I thank you. Oh, thank you. Now, I, you know, I have to say that that's the beautiful part about the vision that God has given me is that because I absolutely believe in servant leadership, that's the easy part. Like for me, it's so much easier when you could just recognize people for what they do. Um, it's it's difficult for me when a person tries to take all the credit and make it all about them to me that's that's hard work and that was something i think i mentioned at the event that I, it's just not in me to do that so it, it actually wasn't really that bad planning it because if you just allow people just to function like the way we had it that day people had an opportunity on the mic to say what they wanted to say and that's what made the event it wasn't what i said dr sean did a phenomenal job as an mc um i was able to kind of just you know step back and just watch and take it all in and learn and glean and, and really just appreciate the moment. Um, I'm still on cloud nine and I can't wait for the um, the next event. You know, I hope that you could join us every year as we continue to honor, you know, other Melanated Queens. And of course this fall we have the Melanated King Awards. And so that's just something that we do as servant leaders. And then of course you, that, that's the reason why we want to honor you is because you have been doing this for so long and we do it without thinking. We do it without expecting a thank you. We do it without people 
you know, recognizing us all the time. Sometimes you just do it and you were doing it all, you know, with all your challenges, you know, with, with the abuse, with, with everything happening on your good days and bad days, you continue to serve the public. So, you know, we salute you, sis. Um, I just want to ask you, do you have any parting words, anything you, anything you want to say to the audience before we go? Yes, I do, actually. Um, I wanted to say um, that my Writing Through a Workshop will be um, available online very soon, um, probably within the next two months, but you will be able to find out that information on the website, on my Facebook, or on my Instagram. Um, and I'm very excited about that. Um, I also will um, have workshops um, in person all over the city coming up. So please look out for that. And um, my last parting word is that um, Maya Angelou has a quote. And I would like to share it with you because this is really how I um, shape my life. It says, when a person is going through hell, and she encounters someone who went through hellish hell and survived, then she can say, mine is not so bad as all that. She came through, and so can I. Wow. Wow. Thank you again so much, sis, for everything. I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you. I'm so glad to be on. This was great. Yes. Anytime. You're always welcome. Anytime. So, family, I want you to go in and want to check out our sister's, you know, stuff that she has going on. Go to Amazon, pick up the books. I want you to, if you're in the Chicagoland area, follow her and, you know, come to some of the events that she's having. Meanwhile, thank you again for listening. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. Take care.